If you are a Bostonian, there are two words which inspire pathos. If you are a Bostonian, there are two words which inspire a sigh and pain and perplexity and confusion. Those words are Boston Bruins. <laughs> what happened to the Boston Bruins? And how do we understand what happened last Sunday night? After all, the Boston Bruins this past year did not just have a successful season, they had a historically, epically, unprecedentedly successful season. The National Hockey League, the NHL, is 106 years old. It was founded in 1917. I speak as if I actually know. Actually, I've never watched a hockey game in my life. I just did some research. I don't get hockey, but I did some research for this sermon. It's 106 years old. And here's what my research dis uh, revealed. That in the 106 years of the league, the Boston Bruins this year scored the most points of any team. And in the 106 years of the league, the Boston Bruins had more wins than any team. But it's even more than that. Because the NHL has a specific category, a specific statistic called goal differential. That is to say, it's one thing if you beat a team two to one. It's still a win. But if you beat a team seven to one, that's even more of a win. Goal differential measures how many goals the winning team beat the losing team by. And in the 106-year history of the league, the Bruins had the second highest goal differential ever. Most points, most wins, second biggest goal differential. In other words, the Boston Bruins could not have been more dominant this year. And their competition, the Florida Panthers, those are two words I never thought I'd say on this BEMA, the Florida Panthers. <laughs> kind of enjoying it, the Florida Panthers. But the Florida Panthers epitomized mediocrity. They weren't just average, they were below average. There's 32 teams in the league, and they were ranked 17th. So when the playoffs began, it was no surprise that a historically dominant team took a 3-1 lead over the 17th team out of 32 teams. 3-1, a commanding lead. All the Bruins needed to close out the series was one more win. And of course, the rest is a sad history we all know. They lost three in a row, including Sunday night. And that leads so many people to wonder, how do we make meaning out of the epic collapse of an epic team, the historic collapse of a historic team? And when you read the commentary about the Bruins and how the season ended, the main leitmotif that comes out is it teaches us about the importance of ending strong, of finishing the job, of completing the task. Finish, complete, close it out. And this line of thought would say that you are 
not what you are when you start something. Anybody can start something. You are what you are when you finish what you start. So, for example, there is a book by a guy named John Acuff, A-C-U-F-F. Aliza tells me I'm always spelling things out, but that's his name, Acuff. And he writes a book called Finish. Give yourself the gift of done. And John Acuff writes this book, he says, because he's very good at starting things. He's just not very good at finishing the things that he starts. He says, I start writing lots of books, but I have all these unfinished manuscripts that I never finish. I start, he says, dieting. And every time I start a new diet, I'm very serious. And that seriousness lasts about a week. And then he goes back to his old ways. John Acuff says, I all the time start a new fitness regimen. I'm going to start a new routine at the gym. And that starts, and then it ends in about a week, and he's back on his couch. And he says, every New Year's, he starts with the New Year's resolutions. And by Martin Luther King weekend, he's given up on his resolutions. So because he can start, but he can't finish, he writes a book called Finish. Give yourself the gift of done. And in the course of this research, he reports, I don't know if this is true, but this is what John Acuff reports, that 92%, 92% of the projects that Americans begin, they fail to finish. 92%. And his book then goes on to give some nice tactical suggestions for how we could actually finish what we start, for example, he has the idea of don't be a perfectionist. Don't let the perfect get in the way of the good. He has the idea of start small, achieve some quick wins, and build momentum towards your goal. All of those tactics are nice. And who wouldn't want to do better at finishing the goals and the tasks that we start? We'd all love to do better at that. But here's the truth. Truth is that our Jewish sources are very skeptical. They're actually ambivalent about the concept of strong finish. Our sources don't believe that the most important things in life can be finished. If you look at our sources, the things we care most about can never be finished. For example, our greatest leader, Moses, did not finish the job. Moses dies on the wrong side of the River Jordan. In the Torah, the Israelites do not finish the job. When Deuteronomy ends, they are on the wrong side of the River Jordan. And when later in life, later in the Bible, the Israelites actually do enter the Promised Land, they are not done, and they are not finished. The opposite is the case. Not once but twice the temple is destroyed. Not once but twice they are exiled. Not once but twice they are not done. And the message of our most holy texts is that what we care about most can never get done. What we care about most can never be finished. You can't close out. You can't end strong with what you care about most. And you don't need the pages of the Tanakh to tell you that. 
You already know that. What do we care about most? Well, if you're a parent, you care most about your children. But parenthood never ends. Little kids, little problems. Bigger kids, bigger problems. Now, there's a lot of different ways to phrase this. Some say that a parent can never be any happier than their least happy child. Others say that you don't want to surrender that kind of emotional happiness to your kids. But it is certainly true that how our kids are doing shapes how we're doing. And how our kids' welfare is shapes our welfare, how we feel when we wake up in the morning. And the best thing I ever saw about this was the movie Parenthood, where Jason Robard says that this is what parenthood is like. It's like a football game where you never score a touchdown. You never cross the goal line. You never score. You never throw the football down and spike it and say, we won. You're never done with parenthood. That's also true with brothers and sisters. If you're blessed to have brothers and sisters, as the years go on, your problems become their problems, their problems become your problems, you're never done. And it's also true, by the way, for the meaning that we all quest. If you quest for meaning, if you're searching for meaning, you're never done. Sure, and I recently had a business dinner with a guy from Australia who's a very successful businessman. And he said he tried to retire many times after his main work, but he could never retire because after he retired, he would wake up in the morning and he would feel empty and he would feel unproductive. And so he's failed to retire. He is not retiring. He is rewiring because the search for meaning is never done. So the message of the Boston Bruins was you got to close it out. You got to end strong. But the message of our sources is you can't close it out. You can't end strong. You can't end. There's no finish. So if closing strong is not our move, what's our move? What's our category? What's our work? What's our word? What's our mantra? So I think you get the answer to this from a great piece of, of Jewish wisdom. When you say goodbye to somebody who dies, like you leave their graveside, you say, Lech b'shalom. Now your life has been lived. Go in peace. Your journey is done. Your race is run. Go in peace. But you don't say that to somebody who's living. When you say goodbye to somebody who's living, you say, Lech l'shalom. Go towards peace. That is to say, while we're alive, we never arrive. While we're alive, we never arrive. So here's a better category. Work in progress. And here's a better move. Wake up every morning making some progress on our life that is a work in progress. And let me tell you what this looks like practically. Sure, and I were in Israel recently in part for the Spark trip and in part to close out our beloved father's apartment. Now, 
If any of you have ever had the experience, after your mother dies, your father dies, your grandparent dies, of going back to their home, now empty, now with, without their presence in it, and you have to figure out what to do with the material things, you know that's kishka. And our father lived in that apartment, 10 Shai Agnon, apartment number five, for 20 years. A lot of things. But there were two things that took our breath away. There were two things that totally inspired us. And there were two things that were so powerful, so powerful, we actually stopped unpacking and packing and called our kids in real time to talk about these two things. One was cards, C-A-R-D-S, cards. My in-laws exchanged cards three times a year for their birthdays, for their anniversary, and for Mother's Day and Father's Day. They were together for 70 years, and they never threw out a thing, which means that there were a lot of cards. And those cards were written by them to them. It was for their eyes only. They were not intending those cards to be read by anyone else. So what are we supposed to do with these cards? What do you do with an anniversary card, a birthday card, a Mother's Day card, a Father's Day card that is so tender? What do you do with it? Here's the second thing we didn't know what to do with. Throughout their whole marriage, and I remember they always told us about this, they did this program called Marriage Encounter. It's like an ongoing work on your marriage deal. And as part of Marriage Encounter, they kept journals and diaries. And so there were all these journals and diaries that they kept for each other and wrote to each other over the course of 70 years together. Lots of cards for their eyes only. Lots of journals and diaries for their eyes only. And now they're both gone, and their kids are in the apartment trying to figure out what do we do with this. So here's what we did. We called our kids. Here's what we did. The journals and the diaries we threw out without reading in order to respect their privacy. But the cards and letters we decided to distribute to their 12, they have 12 grandchildren, three children, three in-loves, and we distributed those cards to send the message that a love affair of 70 years is totally possible. You can actually fall in love and stay in love for 70 years. You can actually get married and stay married for 70 years. All it takes is work. The journal entries were the work, the cards were the love, and the work made the love possible and created the gold standard that their children and grandchildren can now only aspire to emulate. In other words, when we work every day making progress on what matters to us most, we create a life of meaning and beauty. Athletes can close it out. Teams can end strong or not end strong, but not human beings. For us, our work is always unfinished, and that is really good news. That's really good news because that means we get to wake up every morning determined to live a meaningful day,
by making some progress in our life that is a work in progress. Shabbat Shalom.